Well, good morning, family. What's going on, North River? I hope you had a good 4th of July, and uh, they didn't give me a mic, a wireless mic today, so I'm going to be holding this the whole time, but I'm still going to move, praise God. My, my wife and I were down in uh, Florida for the 4th, and uh, it was awesome. My cousin got married, and it was incredible. But we're going to be following up today on the past two weeks, and, and we've been talking about relationships for the past two weeks, and Kindle Night, two weeks ago, helped us focus on bearing one another's burdens. And, and being willing to love past diversity and, and be willing to, to be united with people that don't look like you. And then last week, Tom talked through Colossians 3. And he talked about forgiving one another and being clothed in love and, and being humble before one another. And I don't know about you, but in my relationships, that's probably one of the biggest ways I constantly need to be reminded to follow Jesus. Amen? And I know even for me, uh, like three weeks ago, we were driving, my wife and I were driving back to, from church, and Latoya looks at me, and she goes, you know what, Jordan? I feel like around the house, you've just been acting like a baby. A, I'm a, a baby? I'm a grown man. What you talking about? Like, a baby? What do you mean a baby? And then she, and she goes, I didn't say that, and, but she, and she goes, well, I feel like, honestly, you, you walk in the door, and you you don't think about how you can help out around the house. You just go and you play a game on your phone, you flip on the TV, watch sports, like, and you just zone out. And then whenever I ask you to do something, it comes with one of those, like, hey, hon, do the dishes, and <sighs> just acting like a baby. <laughs> and I, I, there was a lot of things I wanted to say, amen, that I didn't. And, but what I did say was just, you know what, amen. I, I've, been, I've been selfish around the house. Hon, how can... How can I be more selfless? How can I serve you more? And I need to focus on my relationships. And then uh, just yesterday, we were, I had some guys over to talk about our lives, had a little discipling time. And, and Latoya, it was at my apartment, and Latoya was about to leave. And, and she goes, hey, I'm, I'm about to leave for a couple hours, but when I get back, I'm really going to clean up the house. Like she's talking to me and the other guys. And I'm really going to clean up the house because it looks like a mess because we just got back in town this week. We're leaving this upcoming week. And, uh, and then good old Cody Porter is sitting there. And he goes, oh, she's leaving. That's a perfect, in front of Toya. She goes, that's a perfect time for you to clean the house so when she gets back, it's clean. <laughs> Why'd you say that in front of her? Now I gotta do it, you know? And then I just, I'm just like, amen, walk out, hon, amen. And then and she walks out, and Cody, why'd you say that? I gotta work on my lesson. And he's like, bro, your wife is your first ministry before the church. It's like... Hey, man, I need help in my relationships. I don't know about you guys. So praise God, Cody, I cleaned the house yesterday. You know what I mean? I got it done. But I need help in my relationships. And I, what we're going to go through today is I want to focus on the Word of God because this is not natural for us. And the only way we're going to be strong in our relationships is if we focus and we get our conviction and the power from the Word. So today we're going to focus on the Word of God and particularly your need and its power. So let's flip over to Matthew chapter 4. I always wondered why uh, the guys that did slides, like why they were really boring slides and white backgrounds. And then, and then I made a really cool slide and like had, a, had cool like backgrounds and stuff like that. And then when I got here, and just because, you know, you, whenever you switch power, PowerPoint, you know, presentations, different things, it, it, it deletes all the formatting. So my slide is going to be really boring today, but there will be words. Amen, guys? So I don't, I don't judge you anymore, Douglas Jacoby and everybody. I understand. But Matthew 4, 
But before we get in, I want to I get a little bit of interaction, and Edge will recognize this because we, uh, we were talking about prayer, similar topics, just a couple weeks ago. But who here, like me, believes in the power of the Word of God, but doesn't feel great about how consistent or meaningful your times with God is? Like, who, who feels that way? Who, who like me, uh, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, has fallen asleep while reading your Bible? You know, like, who's done it before? I call those naps with Jesus. Those are awesome. Who here, like me, uh, is like king distracted whenever you read your Bible? And you'll be reading, and you'll be like, Jesus performed many miracles. Miracle whip. I think I'm hungry. What's that shiny thing? How did I get here? You know what I'm saying? Or you read, James and John went and asked Jesus. James and LeBron James is a really good basketball player. I think I need a haircut. What's my schedule like this weekend? And have you been like that before, just so distracted? I hope that as we dig into the Word today, that it can help you focus. It can help you go deeper. So let's start here in Matthew 4. We're going to pick up in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thanks for informing us. The, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we see this, Jesus had just gotten baptized, the Holy Spirit just came on him, and before he starts his ministry, he, he goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. So we miss something that's so crucial about Jesus all the time. Jesus was intense, like what kind of man does it take to fast for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert? Most of us wouldn't survive 40 days and 40 nights with food in the desert, much less without food. Jesus had drive. He was so focused and so, like his depth with God. Why did he go to the desert? To get away from everybody else. He said, my, my walk with God means so much to me. I want to distance myself from everybody else so that I can't. His, his walk with God is so fulfilling. It's so deep. But then the tempter comes to him. And we're, we're going to work through the rest of this passage but this is probably one of the most epic battles of all time. And it's, it's Jesus, the Son of God, versus Satan. And, and we're just going to see the words, but man, I wish I could put on like spiritual goggles and see what's going on, like put it in slow-mo, you know what I'm talking about? Like we just see their words, but maybe looked a little more like that. Like they're just battling each other back and forth, a little grimace. I don't know why Jesus is always white, but you know, <laughs> but this was an intense battle. And we get to see what they're saying. But so, so Satan tempts uh, Jesus with food because he's hungry. And, and, and Jesus quotes a verse. And, and what he does is he quotes Deuteronomy 8. And I'll, you don't have to flip it. You can say Matthew 4. But it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How real do you think this was to Jesus when he said it to Satan? 
I mean, I bet he was med- I mean, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know this is talking about, right, like when God actually sends manna down, like falling from heaven so the Israelites wake up every morning and there's food on the ground. But man, I guarantee Jesus was thinking about this for these 40 days and 40 nights. Man, the Israelites fa- went out to the wilderness for 40 years. I'm in the desert for 40 years. Man, he's just meditating on this. Whenever his stomach grumbled, whenever he was hungry, whenever he wanted to go back, no man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the first thing he says to Satan. Man, this was real to Jesus. But let's compare that. So if man doesn't live on bread alone, every word comes in the mouth of God, you know, bread or food, right? If you, if you go a couple hours without eating, what do you feel? Hungry, right? If you, I hope. If you, go, if you go several hours or most of the day without eating, what do you feel? Hangry. If you go a whole day without eating, what do you feel? Starving. If you go several days without eating, or, or a couple weeks without eating, what do you feel? Man, you're practically dying. So what does your spirit feel if you go several hours without meditating or reading the Word of God? It's hungry. What does your spirit feel? If you go a day without getting the Word of God, thinking about it, talking about it, man, your, your spirit is starving. If you go several days or several weeks without the Word of God and meditating on it, man, your spirit's basically dying. But you go, well, I don't feel that, though. I feel fine. But that's the catch, is we get so distracted by this world, and we get so distracted by what's really going on with our spiritual lives, and we lose track that, man, our spirits are weak and they're hungry. We need to recognize it. How have your times with God been this week? Have they faded over the last several years? How often do you have meaningful times in God's Word? You know, you will never get tired of eating. I hope you never get tired of the Word of God. If someone came up to you and said, hey, I'm trying to get more healthy, I'm trying to gain muscle, I'm trying to lose fat, I'm trying to, you know, kind of build up to to have a great physique, and you know what, I figured out the perfect plan. I'm only going to eat a couple times a week. You, what? That doesn't make sense. That's going to hurt you. Like, you're going to end up, like, getting, that's not healthy at all. But for some reason, hey, I'm going to do great spiritually. And and I'm I'm going to be a great disciple. I'm really going to love God. I'm going to be strong spiritually with deep convictions. But I'm only going to get in the Word a couple times a week. That doesn't make sense. We need the Word. Amen, church. And in this next verse, which we'll read in a second, Jesus quotes uh, Deuteronomy 8. And I think he was probably thinking about the, or Deuteronomy 6, I mean. And uh, I think he was probably thinking about this when he was in the wilderness also, because this is his next quote to Satan, but we'll read it first. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, he quotes 6.16, I think, in a second, but this is in the beginning of chapter 6 with the same theme. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your house and your gates. So this is Moses talking yet again right as they come out of the the wilderness for 40 years. And he's reminding them how much they should focus on the decrees and the commands of God. And it's kind of crazy. He goes, how much should you talk about them? He goes, talk about them as you sit at home. But not just as you sit at home, talk about them as you sit at home and when you walk around the road. But not as just when you sit at home and you walk around the road, but talk about them when you sit at home and you walk around the road and when you lie down. But don't just talk about it then. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk around the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Jeez, Moses, do you like always want us to be talking about the word God? Yes! Like, 
It, it needs to be, you know, our, our lives need to be soaked in the word of God. And just, it, it infiltrates every single piece of our being. And he says, and just in case you forget to talk about it, remind yourself, well, how? Well, bind it on your hands and bind it on your foreheads. Write it on your door frames and on your house and your gates. For Moses, man, he's trying to get the people to realize, why do all that? Because you need it. We need the word of God. And it's so easy for us just to make it another app on our phone instead of really digging in. You know, this is something I've had to realize when in the past and even now, it's so easy for me to think like my times with God, it's more of a discipline thing. Like if I'm disciplined enough to wake up on time or whatever. But what I've realized is that like how consistent you have quiet times and you're getting in the word daily, it's actually a humility thing and not a discipline thing. Why? Because you make time for things you need. You know you need to eat. Doesn't matter how, how full your schedule is, you'll stop by that Wendy's and get the four for four. Like, you, you, will, you will make sure, right? You know you need to sleep. So you make time to sleep. Doesn't matter, right? You, know, you make time for the things you know you need. So if you know you need the word of God, then you will make time, no matter how busy your schedule is. I remember for me, when I was working full-time engineering, and I tried to have my quiet time, you know, at 6 a.m. before I had to be there at 8 and, uh, man, that's when I had those naps with Jesus a lot. And, uh, but I said, how am I going to wake up? And so I, I said, you know what? I'm going to have walking quiet times. And yeah, I would pray walking, but I would just walk around my apartment reading the scriptures like this. Because I knew if I sat down for a second, like, I would, I would pass out. So I would just walk around reading the scriptures because I knew, I knew I needed it. And I know a lot of us try to be creative. It's so easy to get immersed in the scriptures nowadays. I know a lot of us listen to the, you know, you can play it over your radio. Like you just listen to the Bible as you're driving to work. You, you, we listen to sermons. We put sticky notes up. We write a little scripture on our, our backgrounds. We watch sermons. Like, man, let's immerse ourselves in the word of God. Amen, church? But in order to do that, what's going to motivate us is understanding its power. So our need, its power. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 and pick up verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you would just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So Satan comes and tempts him again. The first time is his physical needs. The second time, it's kind of scary. Satan actually uses scripture. He quotes Psalms. Do you realize Satan can use scriptures out of context to tempt us? It's a very scary thing. And, and here to Jesus, it's almost like a security thing. Like, don't worry about it. You're good in God. Like, kind of do whatever you want. And then he comes and he tempts him with all the splendor of the earth, all the kingdoms of the earth. And it, it, it tempts his pride and his selfish ambition. And what does Jesus use each time? To combat, the, to combat Satan. He, he quotes Deuteronomy 8 first, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 6, and then he quotes Isaiah 9. He uses the scriptures to combat Satan. What does that show about how Jesus views the scriptures? 
You know, as I said earlier, you could argue that this is the biggest battle of all time. Jesus has came all the way down out of heaven to start a ministry that will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And, and, and then in the other corners, standing at 6'9", is Satan. And he's coming out to stop Jesus in his tracks before the ministry, his ministry even starts. And Jesus could have used any weapon because a lot was on the line. What happens if Jesus would have bowed down to Satan? I think sometimes we, we view Jesus as too much of a God and also forget he was man. He was tempted in every way, just like we were. And so he had to rely upon something that would, have, that would have made sure he was victorious. I mean, he got so worn out by this that the angels had to come and minister to him and attend to him there in the, ver in the end. But Jesus could have used, I mean, what could have you used to fight with? He could have used, he could have called down to celestial beings from heaven, right, to, to battle off Satan for him. He could have used like the God killer from Wonder Woman and used that sword to fight off Satan. He, he could have just snapped his fingers. Universe done. Like, I'm done with this. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Humans are gone. Like, he had all the power. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. He could have used anything. But he used the word of God. What does that show about the way Jesus views the scriptures? That it's powerful. There's nothing in the universe that's more powerful than this. And I, I want to ask you guys a question that's going to seem a, uh, a, little, a little off. You know, I, I sit down with like, uh, it's going to come back. I, I sit down with like hundreds of guys, uh, with, young, with young men. I love telling people that uh, they, when they ask like, what do I do for a living? I'll tell people I, I'm in uh, the business of spiritual development, of spiritual leadership development, and I help boys become men. And, and the reason I say that is because I don't think you can be, a, you can't find true manhood unless you find God. And you, you don't find true manhood unless you become a man of God, unless you decide to not listen to this world, but listen to the word. And so what I do when I sit down with guys, and some people recognize this, is I love asking this question. If you were to describe the Bible as an animal, what animal would it be? And these are some of the answers that I've heard, and there was animation. Sorry, there's not animation. But these are some of the answers I've heard. Oh, we did Deuteronomy 6. Hey, that's bolded. Look at that. Okay, so these are some of the things. There's a cute little puppy on the top left. I've heard a dog, right, where someone said the word of God is like a dog. I said, why is the word of God like a dog? And they said, well, because it's very loyal to you. It will always be there. But when you're tired of it, you can just shoo it away. Like when it's about to eat your ice cream. And then I said, okay, okay. And then another person said, well, you know, what's the word of God like? They said it's like an owl. Why is the word of God like an owl? Well, because it's really wise and, and it's very lofty. But at the same time, sometimes it's hard to understand. Like it's in the darkness. Like you can't really see it very much. I was like, that's actually kind of a cool insight. You know what I mean? That's good insight. It's good depth. But then I asked this one guy, and I said, hey, what's the word of God like? Describe it as an animal. He goes, it's like a goldfish. <laughs> Why is the word of God like a goldfish, man? And he says, well, because you can play with it whenever you want, but as soon as you're done with it, you put it back on your shelf, and you don't have to touch it or think about it anymore. But I appreciated his realness. So I think sometimes we can view the, word, like the Bible this way, and, and we forget what it really is. Let's go to a pa I want to go to a passage here in Hebrews 4 I think will help us understand the power of the word. And in Hebrews 4, in verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
Do you see the descriptive words here? What were the Holy Spirit-inspired words to describe the Word of God? Alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I mean, swords are supposed to cut you, right? They're supposed to make you bleed. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit. It judges. Nothing in creation is hidden from it. Everything is laid bare before it. That sounds like the king of the jungle to me. The Word of God, if the Holy Spirit would describe the Word of God as an animal, I bet it would have been a lion. The Word of God's like a lion. It's powerful. Jesus called the lion to come help him fight against Satan. Now let's think about this. I want to go down this route just for a second. If, if through these doors right here, a pack of lions came strolling in, and it wasn't Aslan, you know, like, it, it's, it wasn't little girl lions either. Like, they're like, I, I want man flesh, lions. And, and the doors lock. And these are like rabies-filled lions. Like, they're not just trying to eat, they're trying to kill, right? And let's say you were one of the few, like one of the handful that escaped, and everyone else died. Now, that's terrible to think about. But, and it, you were one of the few that escaped. You like made it through window or something, right? Would your life have changed from that? Do you think it would ever be the same? No, right? Like my life flashed before my eyes. I realized my purpose in life. Like I realized this is my calling. I don't have an arm anymore. Like you, your life would be different, right? Why? Because you can't come into contact with something that powerful and it not change you. But have you seen a lion in a zoo before or on TV? Did that change you? No. Nope. Why? Because the cage. If you went in that cage, man, that would change you. <laughs> but if, if you're outside of the cage, the, the power has been removed from you. Because you can't remove the, the power from a lion unless like, you kill it or you, or you just separate yourself from it. But you can cage it away from you. This is the Word of God. It's the most powerful thing in the universe. There's millions of books in the Library of Congress, but only one was written by the hand of God. You can't take the power away from this. But what you can do is remove yourself from it. Is God's word still powerful in your life? Or has it been caged? Is it still sharper than any double-edged sword, or has it become dull? When is the last time you got so inspired or convicted when you're reading the Bible that it affected your life? That it changed you so much that other people noticed. Does it still have the power to comfort you when you're down? To convict you when you're in sin? To inspire you when you're lazy? Or did the Bible only have enough power to convert you and make you radical back then? But does it have enough power to keep you being a radical disciple the rest of your life? We can't diminish its power. I know there's so many of us that are still in like a lingering sin. And we're in a rut. And we have a bitterness that's unresolved, a relationship that we haven't forgiven or can't find love in, or a timidity that traps us. Guys, the Word of God is the only thing that will give you a breakthrough. So much of your spiritual life is only accessed through this book. Like, there's parts of your spiritual growth that will only happen by digging through this. And you know what? I'm scared that we're growing so like accustomed to mediocre Christianity because this world, like we live in the Bible Belt South. There's mediocre Christianity, like the modern day Christianity is so lukewarm, isn't it? And it constantly is shouting at us to follow its ways instead of follow the scriptures. And I'm scared that we're growing a little more accustomed to what the world says Christianity is. 
study what the Bible says Christianity is. I was going to have it as one of my points. I'm, I'm not going to have enough time. But, uh, but I was going to talk about how there's the battle of the word. And the battle of the word is really the battle of your soul. And, and I, I understand, like, as we're talking about these things, like, I, I don't have three kids, right? And I'm really grateful I don't have three kids right now. But I don't, I don't have three kids. And, and I don't, I've worked a full-time secular job in the past, but I don't right now. And uh, I haven't, I've been disciple eight years. I haven't been disciple 20 or 30 years. So there, there's, I, I don't know where everybody's at. And, and I haven't been there, like, in everyone's shoes. But you know what I do believe is that the Bible does have authority. And it should challenge us no matter what walk we're in and where we're at in life. So how are you doing spiritually? Like, seriously. Like, when you, when you, when you think about the, the commands of Jesus, when it, when it describes a life of daily evangelism, of deep one-another relationships, that includes confession of sin, correcting one another, forgiving one another, giving grace to one another, challenging one another, being vulnerable with one another. When you think about its, its, its intense radical call to purity, when you think about its intense radical call to, to soberness and not drunkenness and no drugs and things like that, to, to love your enemies, how are you doing? Because the world says you don't need that. The world says you don't need to evangelize. Don't, don't put yourself in awkward situations. Like the world says, man, be impure every once in a while. It's, it's no big deal. You're not hurting nobody. The world says, don't confess your sin. Keep it to yourself. Like, be, like, make yourself look good instead of actually putting yourself out there. How do you know if the word has power in your life? The test of the word, if the word has power or not, is look at the areas of the discipleship that aren't natural to you. So, for instance, for me, I, I'm actually, like, I, I grew up in a very forgiving household. And so for me, being forgiving is pretty easy. Like, stuff doesn't really stick to me. It kind of just flows off. I don't know if it's because I'm not very emotional, like Mike was saying. But I, it's really easy for me to forgive. But what's hard for me is my pride. And I just have this arrogance naturally that I grew up with, and I've been battling ever since I've been a disciple. And even like when Satan said, hey, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth, that sounds appealing to me. And man, I want a big kingdom of my own. I want something that I can call myself that I've built up from the ground up. And, and the ugliest part of my sin is that I can bring that into the church. And, and I, can, I can want to make the church more about my glory instead of God's. And, and I can want to get praise and things like that it, for me instead of shifting all the praise to God. And, and, and so the way that I see it as a word have power is that am I still growing in my humility? Or am I stuck? Because the, the scriptures are clear for the standard of being humble before God and servanthood discipleship. So if those scriptures have power in my life, then it should continue to change me and to mold me into who Jesus wants me to be. So think about the areas that are hardest for you. Are you still changing? Or are, are you just, are you, is that become a part of you that's not going to change anymore? Or is the word still have power to change you? How do you do that? You've got to get in your word daily. Man, we're in the world daily, and the world is daily telling us how to live. How are we ever going to battle that if we're not in our word daily to get the, how the word says we're supposed to live? We've got to get in it daily, man. For these hard parts, you've got to wrestle with it and dig through. Do, do intense studies on the thing that you're weak in to let it just mold your character and to grow. You can't have a walk with God without the scriptures. Yet so many of us, like, we don't talk about it much. I'm scared that, and even in fellowship, like, our go-tos are, like, how's work going instead of what are you studying out in your quiet times? 
and that we're, we're talking more about this world than the word. And we got to let it in. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter if you've believed, repented, and gotten baptized. If you're not still in the word and it still doesn't have power in your life, you're not going to make it. It has to stay alive and active in your life. It has to be powerful. You got to let it be strong to immerse ourselves in it. Amen, church? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to call the, uh, I'm going to switch this over to Hebrews 4 again. I'm going to call the worship team up. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out. I'm going to paint a picture for us to help us understand the power of the word. And then, I, and then we're going to close out and sing our last song. But what I, want, what I want you to imagine is that we're all sitting here in church. And suddenly everything starts shaking. And, and our rafters are shaking and we think it's an earthquake. And, and then suddenly we hear this screeching noise. And, and we look up and, and it's the ceiling itself starting to rip apart. And it's, it's ripping apart in half, and there's like wood falling down, and everyone starts to scream. And then we look up through the, the, the ceiling to the sky, and we see the sky itself is, is being torn into like a curtain. And through it is this, this blinding light, and we can barely see up into it. And suddenly we hear this huge sound like a woof, and we all get flattened by this gust of wind. And we look up again into the blinding light, and we feel it again, woof, and we all get flattened by a gust of wind. We look up again, and it's an angel. And it's his wings that are just flying down. And, and he has huge wings, and, and, and it's him that's shining like the radiance of the sun. And he has a sword on his back, and in his hand, he has a book. You don't even need to think twice. You know exactly what book that is. And he flies down to us, and he sees us, and it's like everything else kind of melts away except this group of people and this angel. And he's flying, and he holds this out to us in a voice as mighty as a lion's roar, yet as gentle as a whisper. He says, this book is from God. Know this, and you will know God. In it, you will find the love of God. And if you follow it, you will have eternity with him. And he releases it. And it just kind of floats down to the stage right here. And, and, and he flies out and, and the ceiling goes back and the sky goes out and kind of everything comes back alive and this book's just floating right here and all our eyes just end up focusing on it. And then suddenly, it drops. What would you do? You would be like, hey, open that. Read that. Read the whole thing. Cancel work. I'm going to talk about it when, when I get up in the morning. I'm going to talk about it when I lay down. I'm going to talk about it when I go on the streets. I'm going to talk about it when I go out home. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to forget it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it on my doorpost. I'm going to put it on my doorframe. Man, I want to know everything in that book. Like, give me that. It has, it has to have so much power. It came from heaven. Yeah, isn't that exactly what this is? Church, this has the power. The Bible has the power. The Word of God is what fueled the first century church. It's what fueled the apostles. It's what fueled the Reformation movement away from the Catholics. It's what fueled the Restoration movement. And our movement is saying, let's go back to the Bible to restore the church. It's what fueled you to become a disciple. And it's what's going to fuel our church to reach this next generation. It's what's going to fuel our church to reach Atlanta. And this Word, is, this power is what's going to fuel us to change the world. Amen.